Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Matthew Appleby, editor of Hort Week, and today I'm with Signifies commercial leader horticulture UK and Ireland, Nathaniel Dannenberg. So, Nathaniel, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Matthew. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good to see you again. Now, um, it's been a cold winter in parts so far, so how is the horticulture industry coping with the, the energy crisis? Yeah, look, it's... Um, it- 2022 was a, a really tough year for a lot of our customers and, and the industry as a whole. Um, I think if you rewind all the way back to kind of autumn, winter 2021, we, we knew that last year was going to be tough. Um, you know, already there were sort of peaks in energy and gas prices way beyond what we'd normally expect. Um, and we saw growers at the end of 2021 warning that they weren't going to switch their lights on or, or things like that, or they were going to do reduced growing. Um, but the invasion of Ukraine really took that crisis to a new level in terms of the, the cost of energy to our growers. Um, and a lot of them really struggled. But I, I would say it's been a mixed bag. Um, you know, so there are some lucky ones who either have their own energy source um, or they're in fixed contracts. So, so for them, there is you know, a glimmer of positivity. Uh, and when you look at the industry as a whole, there are thankfully some some positive stories out there. I think in terms of our customer base, um, there have been a few kind of um, different requests and, and so on. So we've been quite proactive going to customers to say, look, can we help you with your lighting strategies? Um, so when we do that, we look at both when they're lighting because energy prices fluctuate during the day often, depending on the tariff that the growers are on. Uh, and also looking at the overall photo period and lighting intensity. So often, for example, we can amend their light plans so they lower their usage at certain points of the day um, and maybe lower their overall lighting length of the day. So that will cause a drop in yield, but the drop in energy use versus yield output, it's not a straight line. So actually, 
it often makes commercial sense for growers depending on what their what their contracts are like and so on with with their customers i think fundamentally though it's this isn't the first crisis that the british horticulture has faced um, we've got some really innovative growers in the UK and Ireland who, who sort of recognise the long-term benefits of new technology uh, and they recognise the importance of innovating. And they've been doing it for, for far longer than I've been in the industry. So um, they're a resilient bunch and they find ways to, to survive and ways to thrive. Um, you know, if I look at just from a lighting perspective, last year we did see a, a massive uptick in conversion from high pressure sodium to LED. And that was, you know, as a direct result of the high energy prices, it, it became a lot more viable on a um, sort of total cost of ownership basis to switch because energy savings are around 50% when you go from, from high pressure sodium to LED. So um, there are growers out there who've seen, now's the time, let's, let's take the plunge and go for it. I think the other thing to say is we were really, delighted that the, the UK government launched the Farming Transformation Fund last year. So that's a really ambitious programme um, and there are a number of large-scale projects awaiting approval. So if they're rubber stamped, uh, we'll see some really exciting installations coming online later this year. Brilliant, that's good news. So, um, where do you see the market going in the coming years? Um, it's an interesting one. I think, you know, you often hear people like me talking about big data and the importance of it and all of that sort of stuff. And it, it often feels quite um, abstract and, and you're not really sure, well, how is this data actually going to help? Um, but for us in lighting, we see real opportunities for data supporting automation of lighting controls. So on a basic level, Often growers will use a PAR sensor on the top of their greenhouse and that will switch their lighting on and off depending on their set points. So if it's particularly sunny in the morning and they get enough moles in the greenhouse during the day, then the lights will switch off. Equally, if it's a horrendous February day that's overcast, then the lights may stay on longer because overall they haven't quite reached the um, target DLI that they're after. But with LED, you're, you're using a digital light source. So... Um, you know, this, it can work a lot harder for growers and do a lot more than just, just switching on and off like that. And the software that we have around the lights means that we can really push the value of them. So you know, we believe that lighting should be able to switch, not just according to PAR data, but also look at the, the weather forecast for the next couple of days, factor in things like the fluctuation in electrical rate, so maybe light at 2 a.m., starting at 2 a.m. rather than uh, lighting into the evening. Um, and really using all of those pieces of the puzzle in order to produce the most efficiently grown crop possible. I think also if we then add into that mix automation for various stages of the crop, you've got a really smart system that will use all these pieces of data to support genuine efficiency savings for growers. Um, the reality is automation, it has to not just reduce pressure on labour and free up growers to, to do what they do best, but also it has to save operational costs. And at the very minimum, it should be maintaining quality, but really we want to see enhanced quality. So that's certainly one of the, the big trends that we're seeing. We're doing an awful lot of development on that at the moment around the automation piece and how we can link into the parts of 
growers' infrastructure, such as their climate control and their irrigation system, in order to make sure that the lighting is a really central part that works in conjunction with those other bits of the puzzle. Okay, so could you tell me a bit about lighting spectrums? The other area that, that we'll always continue to research and, and develop is, is around spectrum refinements. And I think, you know, the industry as a whole is doing an awful lot of work on that. You know, I'm seeing some really interesting stuff coming out across the industry. So not just uh, from, from our team in, in the Netherlands. Again, you know, lighting has to work harder for growers. So I think whilst those headline savings going from high pressure sodium to LED are really exciting, you know, 50% saving is massive particularly on a, on a hectare or two, it's, it's, you know, it's a huge amount of money that growers will save. But actually, there has to be additional value on top of that. That's, that's the message that's coming back from growers, that it, it can't just be saving some money off my, my energy bill. I want it to do more. So um, we're continuously running trials to see if the different spectra will increase yield or improve fruit quality and so on and so forth. So my poor uh, plant specialist colleagues in the Netherlands, I think they are they're certainly earning their, um, their salaries because whilst they're supporting the likes of myself and, and the rest of the sales team and our customers, they're also doing a lot of fundamental research as well to really see how far we can push LED into, into adding value. And then the final trend, um, which is kind of linked to the last two points really, is, is the optimization of lighting schedules. So I'm not just talking here about lighting when energy is cheap during the day we're also doing a lot of research around when plants are most efficient so really targeting lighting during those periods in order to convert that energy in the most efficient form so again really trying to eke out every watt that we're putting into those plants um, to to make sure that growers are, are growing as efficiently as they they possibly can do Cool, I like the sound of that, and I'm sure growers will too. So, uh, Nathaniel, can you tell us a bit more about what are some of the push and pull factors in the industry? Yeah, so um, if we start off looking at consumer trends, um, the the desire for out-of-season produce is, is here to stay, I would say. You know, the reality is people want things like fresh cherry tomatoes, uh, soft fruits and cucumbers out-of-season. Um, from the grower side, if we hadn't seen runaway energy prices last year, I think we would see a lot more homegrown produce on the shelves this winter. Um, and I think also the, the cost of living crisis has probably dented shoppers' budgets. So that demand for premium out-of-season produce hasn't grown as much in 2022 as it has in previous years. But in the medium to long term, we'll see that demand increase. And I think the other points to mention is that consumers want the best of both worlds. So they want out-of-season produce, but they want it to taste like summer. Um, and the only way to offer that is to use closer to home. So if I take uh, strawberry as an example, the varieties that you get in the winter aren't as sweet and juicy uh, because they have to stand up to the shelf life requirements of such a long journey. Um, I think the other consumer trend that's driving demand is the desire for sustainable options. So I did some strawberry research over Christmas, which I'm sure you can imagine was a tough job, but someone has to do it. Um, our fan punnets were coming from as far away as Jordan, which is over 3,000 miles. 
Um, and, they, you know, countries like Jordan, Egypt, they're not countries that are, have an abundance of water. So it's, it's normal to query what impact that's having on the, on the local ecology. I think with the focus on food miles and sustainable production practices, there's, there's certainly demand for the idea of, of homegrown produce. And what about push-pull factors for growers? Yeah, so I think, you know, if we think about the factors affecting growers, we have to consider our exit from the European Union. So I'm not stating anything newsworthy by suggesting our trade isn't entirely frictionless. Um, so that does create the potential for perishable goods to be stuck at borders. And ultimately, a day or two can be the difference between food being sold or food going to landfill. So there is an opportunity, uh, I would suggest, for UK growers to, to expand their business and take market share for producers in the Netherlands or Southern Europe. There's also a well-documented work shortage for the, for the haughty industry. It's really interesting speaking to a lot of our customers. Um, and the, this goes for guys who are either um, doing full winter production or actually just using a relatively low light intensity and just looking to smooth the shoulders of the season. They've also that actually one of the benefits of having that longer um, operational period is that they can offer full-time employment for more people. Um, so they're not having to go through that really tough period of, of uncompetitive period of trying to recruit staff in the peaks quite so much because they have a decent baseline of, of retained staff who are there year round. So from an operational perspective, there's, there's big benefits. They're not having to um, do that HR process. They're not having to onboard staff, and train them so much each year. Now, of course, there's always going to have to be some um, additional work and, and labour for the, for the peak, but just having that slightly um, broader baseline does seem to help people. Uh, and it's certainly a, a theme which has come up in, in a few conversations with our grower customers. So another big uh, area of uh, contention at the moment is um, the advantages of vertical farms over uh, glass houses. So I just wondered, Nathaniel, what's your outlook on um, vertical farms versus traditional glass houses? Yeah, it's a really interesting area. So I have to be careful here because I know that it can be quite an emotive subject and debate. Uh, I think what I would say is the for the long term, we do see growth for both areas of horticulture in the UK and Ireland. So whether that's vertical farms or glass houses, I think the medium to long term is bright. If I talk uh, VS, first of all, I would say the days of, of the vertical farm just producing microgreens are, are long gone. We've been researching and growing a range of crops over the last four years. And I know other people in the industry have been doing some really cool stuff too. So this is crops from tomatoes and strawberries uh, to, to exotic crops like saffron and vanilla. Um, so there's some really exciting stuff coming through on, in the vertical farm scene. I think the challenge for them will always be raising the capital and finding an affordable energy source. Uh, but that being said, I think you know, there are some significant projects in the pipeline that are due to come online in the next 12 months, um, both with us and, and also that are out there in, in the, sort of the public domain. So the future for vertical farms does look exciting. So all that being said, we do see glasshouse production as the dominant portion of our business um, for the foreseeable future of anywhere from 80 to 85 percent of our turnover. Um, there are around 3,000 hectares of glass in the UK, and only a small proportion of it is actually lit. So there's, there's a relatively easy 
when they're available to growers where extended production does make sense. Brilliant. Okay, so uh, Natalia, can you sum up about the future of LEDs and you know what Signify has to offer? Yes, I think we'll continue to see um, efficiency improvements across our lighting range, like we have done for the last five years. And that will really help to drive mass adoption across the industry. With energy prices set to stay relatively high comparison to traditional levels, I think for those who currently light with non-LED, it will become more and more viable to to switch. Um, And then for those who are looking to embark on season extension or or winter production, again, it it will be a case of capitalising on those more efficient LED generations in order to take that step. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, the light recipe optimizations will really hopefully drive um, further growth in the industry as well. So as we um, take new crops, which are relatively uh, new to lit production, things like pepper and cucumber, um, take those through in terms of optimizing the recipe and the schedules, we'll see real growth in those areas as well. Uh, so in a nutshell, what, what are your main messages from today? Yes, I think, first of all, I would say to growers who already use high pressure sodium, I would suggest that LED lighting adoption really needs to happen now, especially because of the energy crisis. Um, And I think for growers who are considering it, I would suggest to them that LED lighting can really help grow their business and help them use their infrastructure for a longer period of the year so that they're not having that dormancy over the winter time. Uh, and really sweat their assets. Brilliant. All right. Well, thanks for all that. Well, now, now on to the fun bit. At the end, we ask our people on the Hot Week uh, podcast what their favourite plant is, what their desert island plant is, just to top things all off. And um, I guess you've been um, racking your brains to think what, what a good answer this would be. So, Nathaniel, what is it? What's, what's, your, what's your desert island plant? did have a think about this and I thought well do I take something that I can eat but then strawberries or banana is only going to keep you going for so long Um, and actually I moved into a new house last year and the owners had left uh, a huge buddleia plant Um, so I would probably take one of those because I although it's you know considered by some as maybe not the most fashionable plant uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, the amount of butterflies and bees and insects that we had coming to the plant was was incredible. And I spent many afternoons with my kids trying to count how many butterflies there were. So uh, I would probably do that and um, and then hope that a ship passes fairly soon to take me home. Excellent. All right. No, a budley. I don't think we've had one of those before. I think that's an excellent choice. So thanks very much to Nathaniel Dannenberg of Signify. I'm Matthew Appleby, editor of Horticulture Week. And this has been the Hort Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe to or follow Hort Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. Once again, thank you and goodbye till next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.